0: Island Church in Galveston, Texas welcomes you to our podcast. We trust that you will be encouraged by today's message. Listen, you, you, I hope you realize the change that you really are bringing around the world because of the heart that comes out of this church. As your pastor was sharing with you about uh, talking to Christopher, what can be done in Ukraine and touching lives there. Uh, last month or so just communicating with pastor rusted there was a horrible horrible typhoon that came through the philippines and the southern part of the islands suffered some great destruction and some of the areas some of the cities we have churches in just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of homes just totally destroyed and and people left with nothing and we were just communicating, and next thing I know, Pastor Rusty sent me an offering, and I haven't even told you this yet. I just I figured I'd wait till today. But they, they took that offering, and they have helped to repair, put, put uh, new roofs and rebuild walls and help to restore 150 homes. And yeah, that's that's from y'all's giving. That you know, that came from Island Church, and so it, we wired it right over there. And our people, uh, we have a foundation called New Life Community Care that operates out of the church. And uh, so they went down there and they bought uh, roofing, they bought steel, they bought hollow blocks, and everything needed and necessary. And so 150 homes uh, for families have been rebuilt and restored. And uh, so, you know, you guys are, you're kind of like God. You can be in two places at the same time. And, and because it's an opposite time zone, while you're sleeping, your giving is working. Isn't that nice? That You know, you, your giving puts you in more than one place at a time. So you can be here or you could be in bed asleep but the fruit of what you release from your hand is touching people's lives on the other side of the world, even while you're sleeping. Amen. Pastor Rusty asked us to share on missions, and uh, which is not something we really do a lot. And because one of the things, I guess, with us over the years is we just never felt we wanted to draw attention or come across like we were bragging or look what we've done or look what we're doing and... And it's just not something we've ever done, but we do want to share about fruit. And uh, so I put this message together today, but what can God do with a yes? And I want to begin with some, just some verses to go into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 says, But now God has set the members, each of them, in the body just as he pleased. So as I, we share the stories, as I share, and Shadi uh, shares just different stories of what God can do when you say yes, so that doesn't bring a differentiation between us and you, because we're not any better than you are. We're just different. And, and, and we have a calling upon our life and a grace upon our life, but so do you. And every one of us has a purpose. And so what God can do with your yes uh, is phenomenal and unlimited. So I don't want to share these things as though, well, this is what God does in the mission field. No, no, this is what God does, yes, in the mission field, but this is what God can do in and with and through anybody's life in any nation of the world, in any circumstance, whether you're in the Philippines or you're right here in Galveston. Romans 12, 1 through 6. You know, it takes the first two verses to get us to 3 through 6. says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of of your mind, that you may prove, that you may be able to prove out what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So the first two verses there in Romans chapter 12 brings us to verse 3. It says this, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. We're all different. So we being many, we're still one body in Christ, but individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So our stories will be related to the grace that is given to us, but God is wanting to write stories in your life according to the grace that's upon your life also. Amen? Stories of God speaking, leading, encouraging, and working together for Him and His purpose in the generation in which we live. Then I want to share a couple of my favorite verses. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, I love this verse. But we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship. What's going on? Somebody say amen. amen. Recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined planned beforehand. In other words, God has something He wants us to get involved in. And you don't have to be a missionary to be involved in what God has planned. So let's not take. I'm, I'm prefacing a lot here because I don't want you to take the stories and just say, well, that's for there. No, they're to encourage you that it can be done anywhere, anytime, any place, and with any people that will say yes to God. So, so don't put us in a box, and well, those are great stories, and that's what God does in the mission field. No, that's what God does in the church, and that's what he does with believers. Amen. So as we were created to do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand. In other words, God has a plan for your life just like he has a plan for our life. It's predestined, it's planned beforehand for us taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. In other words, God has a path for you. Go ahead and say, God has a path for me. That he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them living the good life. Everybody say good life. life. Which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So God has a plan for your life, something that he's prearranged. You don't have to create it. You just need to discover it and then begin to walk in it. And then through the stories, each one of these stories that we tell uh, relates to this verse here, Ephesians 3.20 in the Amplified Classic, now to him, who, by in consequence of the action of his power that is worked within us, is able to carry out his purpose and to do superabundantly. See, every one of the stories that we will talk about will relate to God's purpose, something that he wants to do. But he's looking for someone who will say yes. God's not looking for people with great ability, he's looking for people who will make themselves available. And then he'll use his ability in your availability. And that's where he brings Ephesians 3.20 to pass. God's ability in your availability that he will carry out his purpose and do super abundantly far over and above all we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. In other words, God's going to do something that you've never even thought of, dreamed of, and it's way bigger than you've ever asked. How many of you want to see that? Well, these are going to be some stories of what we have watched God do in 40 years. And uh, well, well, first of all, going to the Philippines in 1980. Shadi was 23. I was 26. And God told us when we were in Ramah, I heard somebody speak. I was in second year. Shadi was in first year. I heard somebody speak that was from the Philippines. She heard somebody speak after school that day. Uh, uh, We're on our way home, and she goes, I know where we're supposed to go. Now, we had already been praying, Lord, show us where you want us to go. We we knew that we weren't going to stay in the States, but show us where you want us to go. On the way home from school that day, she goes, I know where we're supposed to go. I said, okay, where? Because I felt the same thing. She goes, we're supposed to go to the Philippines. I said, that's right. Yes, we are. She goes, I heard this guy speak today, and he was a short little Filipino. I said, No, he wasn't. He was an old white guy. And, and we thought we heard the same person, but we heard two different people from the Philippines, but God spoke to both of our hearts. And uh, he told her what nation, but the guy that I heard, God said, Go work with that man. And when Dr. Summerall started a church in the Philippines in 1954, Uh, A year or so after that, he left and came back to the States. The very first man that he put in to pastor that church when he left is the man that I heard. His name was Ernie Reb. And so he was the first person to pastor that church called Bethel Temple back in those days. And so he he had been a missionary in the Philippines since the 50. He'd been there a long, long time. And so that's who God told us to go in and work with. When we went to the Philippines, we, we went to a place called Kat Samar, and we had a heart to change the world, and God gave us, one, uh, to change the nation, and God gave us one pastor. One pastor. And he came to our house every single day. And we listened to Brother Hagen's tapes. When we arrived in the Philippines, we had four suitcases, three with clothes, and one with tapes and books. And, and this pastor would come to our house, and we would listen to the tape, and then I would go back and explain it. And he would come every day, shamelessly come every single day. His wife said, you know, you're being so bastos. You're being so, that's you're just being rude and kind of pushy. And he goes, no, he invited me. I'm going, and he's got something, and there's some teaching that they have, and I, have, I must have it. He was hungry. And so we wanted to help change the nation, God gave us one guy. And he was probably more than we could handle at that time anyway and from him, then we did our first pastor seminar that had three pastors. That was really a rousing success, and, uh, and then the next one had seven, the next one had 11, the next one had 23, and then within the next year or so, God had set things up that we were ministering to 5,000 pastors around the nation every six weeks doing a pastor's conference. Pastor Billy Joe, who was our pastor when we were in... in uh, in school, and very first person to ever send us out, he 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 supported us to do those meetings every six weeks, and we got to where we were ministering to at least five thousand pastors around the nation. And then, together with another brother, we started a teaching letter called Nasulat, which means it is written. That teaching letter would, was going out to anywhere between seven to eight thousand pastors, not only in the Philippines but four other countries as well and it started with one. But when you just say, yes, we'll do that, God says, okay, I'm going to take this. But you see, your seed, is always, your seed of obedience is always going to bring growth and fruit. And so we went from one, and God cares about the one. But he had to make us bigger on the inside. And so actually through that one, then we began to travel. Uh, I Well, mostly I was traveling all over the nation and ministering to pastors. We went to the Philippines in November of 1980. Four months later, we were in Manila to come to a conference of the ministry that we worked with, but also Kenneth Copeland had come in to Manila. He was doing his very first meeting in in the Philippines, and It was a big deal, and we thought, well, it'd be really cool. And the first four months almost killed us anyway. And so we needed to, (laughs) because the people we came to work with, we came to find out that they hated Brother Hagin, didn't like the word of faith. And they told every Filipino pastor they know, stay away from Paul and Shadi. They are dangerous. Their teaching is extreme. They will split your church. It's bad. You know they're okay people. We believe they're saved, but their teaching is dangerous. Well, it was dangerous. It was dangerous to the devil. It was dangerous to darkness. It was dangerous to poverty. I mean, we got persecuted because we taught people that God wanted to bless them, that God wanted to heal them, that God wanted to fill them with the Holy Ghost, and and we got persecuted. And so we were ready to come to Manila. The first night of Copeland's meeting. Uh, I was in the nosebleed section. It was in the Araneta Coliseum, 20,000 people, and I was way, way up there, and, uh, you know, it was still, it was good. After the meeting, I was leaving, and I ran into Pastor David Summerall, and he said, you know, I've been looking for you. He goes, I have a, someone brought a doctor to my church, and this doctor wants to go on a trip. Well, I have heard of another doctor, a Filipino doctor, who has gone up into uh, northern, Luzon in Ifagal province is way, way up north, and he wants to take a trip, and I have nobody really that I can trust to take him, but I do have one lady who knows this Filipino doctor. Are you willing, would you be willing to go as a missionary? You know, this is what you guys do, you know. He says, would you be willing to go up there? And I said, yeah, sure. He goes, I tell you what, tomorrow night when you come to the meeting, I'll connect you with him. And so you can meet them, and, uh, and then we'll work on, you know, you guys going up there. He goes, and I'll put you down front so you don't have to be way up there. So I said, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. So we show up the next night, and we get seated on the second row. You know, now you're down there where all the bigwigs are and all the famous people are and everybody who is anybody. And so we're on the second row, and, and I meet this doctor. His name is Jim May. He's from Shreveport, Louisiana. And so... When Copeland comes out and he says, well, before we get going, I want you to, those of you just turn around and, and greet the person behind you and introduce yourself. So we're sitting there on the second row. And the guy in front of me turns around and he goes, hi, my name is Sam Carr. I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana. And he, and he was right in front of the guy next to me. And Jim goes, well, hi, I'm Jim May and I'm a doctor in Shreveport, Louisiana. So well, they kind of hit it off. And that's where I met Pastor Sam Carr. See, my yes brought me from the nosebleed section, and God positioned me right behind Sam, right there in that conference to meet that man, and I have known Sam, and we have had a wonderful relationship for the last, since 1981. See, your yes will position you to bring you to places where God wants to connect you with people also. So we went to Ifagal, we went up there, and we took many, many trips, and those were some very, very hard trips. we went up to the areas where uh, the virgin forest uh, the area was pretty much dominated by witch doctors. There were no churches up there. Make a long story short, after years of taking trips up there, there are now over a hundred churches through that entire mountain region, uh, not our churches because we weren 't starting churches back then but but things that God broke through that entire mountain region the Happened, and now there's over hundred churches up there. Yeah, so that is wonderful, um, Shadi. Because of going up to Ifogal, uh I went to the American Bible Society one day to take some to find some Bibles of a limited dialect. And Shadi loves this story. So, uh, we
1: all have so many stories. huh? I pray that you have God's stories. God is working in your life, and as you say, yes, God moves. You know, um, my little notebook here, I wrote this this morning, that in John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And We beheld his glory, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten, of the Father, full of grace and truth. And everything Jesus did either sh- declared doctrine, <laughs> Or an encounter with God, or both. Everything was about the kingdom and Him saying the kingdom of heaven is here and then displaying it. And so that is what we've seen for years the kingdom of God displayed in, through encounters with God. Everything in the Bible is an encounter with Jesus, or I'm mainly the new covenant, but the old too. And so God wants an encounter with you. Well, here's one of those encounters that He needed a certain dialect Bible. And back in those days, we didn't have cell phones. And um, so you just go to a Philippine Bible Society from the mission house we stayed in, maybe a 45-minute drive. And so he goes into the Philippine Bible Society, and they didn't have that dialect. But we pray all the time for encounters. Do you ever pray that, Lord? I thank you for divine encounters. And so... This is just so cool. And so you couldn't find... They said, we don't have that dialect. It's out of print. Out of print. We just don't have it. So in Manila, like a big any big city, you go outside and then you wave a taxi down. Because when I've told this story before, people say, did you know that taxi? Did you know that person? No. You just go out randomly and wave somebody down, right? And so a taxi pulls up, gets Paul. 45 minutes later, he's in front of our little mission house. And then... As he's getting out, the driver says, well, Sir. I'm
0: going to walk into the house. I pay him. I'm going to walk
1: in the house. Yes. And the driver says, Sir, I have your Bibles. He opens his trunk and had five boxes. Wow. Talk about God involved, you know? These are divine encounters. There are angels around us, there are orchestrations from the realm of glory that God wants to show you things. Wow. So I wrote down of all the stories and in the time frame you want me to tell Jeanette okay so we moved in to Calibo <laughs> well you asked me up here this is what happens don't ask me up here. you don't give a woman a mic and then just you know what are we doing here <laughs> amen women oh look at one guy over there, yeah you know um so we go into the town we're living in that we lived in for 10 years before we moved to Manila and started our church And as you're walking around, and third world is a bit rougher than the normal look of things, you know, it's it's tough what you experience in third world nations or probably politically correct developing nations. And I don't know if that's allowed here, political correctness, okay, whatever. And so, <laughs> but it's just rough. And um, there was this lady walking around, bald headed lady. I was, what, 23, 24. She looked around, maybe 35. And I prayed. I said, Lord, I want her.
0: She was, well, she was eating out
1: of the trash. Yeah, she was eating out of the trash, and she, she just, it looked. But I'm, I'm telling you this story because God will put things on your heart. I did not say I wanted her because I'm so nice. What am I going to do with her? What did I even mean by saying that? But God will put upon you what he wants for someone. It's a it's a it's a sovereign decree. It's something that comes from your spirit man that really you're only aligning with and being a vessel to. So so I I just looked at her and Lord, I want her. I I want to touch her life. Well, then a week later, I'm in my room, um from town to our house was about 15 minute walk, honey. And I'm, and this is, I've heard God audibly speak twice, and this was the first time. And I'm upstairs and I hear this voice, and he says, Shoddy, she's downstairs. I brought her to you. (gasps) And I wanted to like just register the moment, like, okay, I'm hearing a voice. This is so cool. And then, okay, what's happening here? All right, she's downstairs at your front door. And there was that bald headed woman at my front door that I had never spoken to, and that started a relationship that lasted a year and a half, that she would come into the house with all her stink. She's a woman, young, so she had a period. Blood sometimes would be all over the place, and I'd allow her in my shower, clean her up. I bought those little sundresses for her. She never spoke.
0: She would go in and take a shower, and we had to learn that whatever shampoo we had in there, take it out, because. She would use an entire bottle. And, and then it, she'd
1: leave worms. Yeah, then we'd the, have to go in. Clor- Clorox. I love Clorox. I, I spray the Clorox. Because worms
0: were actually falling out of it So her. it
1: was just a sad situation. But she would always come to the house, and she would... One time she came to the house, and I was sleeping on the couch, small little house, and I heard the door rattling. And I thought, gosh, it's been six months. I want to know if she can speak to me. Who is it? And she goes, Jeanette. Oh, perfect English. Jeanette, what, what would you like? I'd like my shower, please. <laughs> oh, this is so cool. And um, so I went to the door. I said, Jeanette, tell me your story. I didn't know you could speak such good English. Yes, I, I was a school teacher, and something bad happened to me. And um, could I take my shower now? And so she came into the house, took a shower, leave, and then she came one day. It was Christmas Day, the 25th. And I went. Oh, does she have to be here today? And the Lord said, "Of all days, <laughs> he really rebuked me. It's like I want to have family time, you know. <laughs> of all days, she has come. Of all days, she had to come." And so she came in the house, and um, I said, "Jeanette, have you have you ever received Jesus as Lord?" And we prayed. She spoke, and then I never saw her again until we saw her in town, and she had a ba- she was pregnant. Um, she got raped. The Drunkards would take her down by the river and rape her, and I knew then why she was in my life. We got that baby. A missionary couple adopted that baby, and I never saw Jeanette again. There are times in your life you are just there for a season, for a, for her, yes, and for that baby, and um,
0: the baby, uh, we we went to Manila because Shadi was going to give birth to our, our, our son Ryan. And so missionary couple said, well, we'll take care of him. He smelled like garbage. You, you yeah. couldn't get the smell off of him. Uh, and he would cry all night long. And so we, we had him in our house until we moved up to Manila. And then when we came back from Manila, they said, we want to adopt this little boy. And his name is Jason. And uh, his parents eventually moved back to the States. And uh, Jason moved back, became an American citizen. And, uh, yeah, he, his life was rescued.
1: You know, that's what we do. All of us. We diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of God, wherever we're at.
0: Let me lead you into another one. Shadi was downtown. I don't know if you were getting a manicure, pedicure, or I don't know what you were doing. And the Atis came in and these were the, the natives from the inter Island. And they would come in begging. And then Shadi really had a heart for them, and she hired a school teacher to she invited them over to that same little place that we used to live in now we had moved to another house, and she created a classroom for the poorest of the poor with five or six of these kids that we used to go out to the riverside and visit these these atis and because of just being around them, and we would get uh, lice, and so we were always having to shampoo with quail shampoo. And-
1: oh, yeah, it's, it's not fun to always minister to the, the neediest and the poorest. Yeah, you do get lice occasionally, <laughs> and, but you touch these people's lives. I, I remember we would give well, so much... Explain
0: from that class, it led to the birth of Calibo Faith Academy, which is still a great Christian school to this day.
1: One thing leads to another. Isn't that how it is with your life? You touch one person, you, you educate four, and now all of a sudden you have a school. And you, so it's, it's that, it's those stories that we went there to be servants. We are servants of the Lord. Lord, how can I help these people? They are the poorest. They, the Atis or Atis, they say it differently in two different places. And we gave them so much that at one time, the leader of them said, could you not give us any more? We, we sell everything and buy alcohol, and we're always drunk. They were always drunk. And it was so, they were so honest, please don't give us any more rice. We take sacks of rice out there, and they say, don't give us any more. We just sell it, <laughs> you know. But as you sow, as you give your life, you may not. You don't have to always go to the poorest place. Just listen to God and do what God is saying for you to do. Um, Let me tell you one more cool story, and then I'll turn it back to you. Um, Being led by the Holy Spirit is everything. He'll tell you who to touch, who to reach out to. He might tell you a city not to go to at this point, or or a group not to go to. Let the Lord tell you where and when. You can't carry everything of the world in your heart. You can pray, but, well, As we're listening to the Holy Spirit, and the word of God we take to the the nations is the same word you preach here. I was so blessed by your service this morning. Beautiful things happening in that 45 minutes. Beautiful things. And um, so when we seek God, and when you ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what should I do? What is it you want me to do? The Lord will show you. He'll warn you. And Pastor Paul always traveled around. We were in the islands. And one day I woke up and it was windows, windows. So my first interpretation of that is windows, you know, spiritual windows. Windows from heaven will open or windows. And windows, Shadi, check your windows. Win- check windows. Third time I heard it, I'm outside. He's home now. I'm watering the lawn and I hear God audibly. Shoddy, check the windows behind you. And so he was there. I'm watering. I went, Paul, God's speaking to me again. This is so cool. What's he saying? He's saying something about the windows. So as uh, tall I'm as not, I am. I'm not
0: hearing anything. I'm not getting nothing.
1: Well, we all got our gift, you know. <laughs> so, um, so I'm just like watering. And as tall as I am, the kitchen window was behind me. Now in the Philippines, every window has bars on them. In the, in the islands, yeah, bars and it's bolted in because there's so much crime. And even you're in the out in the province, your walls that cover around your house have broken glass on it, trying to tell someone you're gonna go hurt you. Come in my house, you know. Okay, so so God said check the windows. So I reached my hand back. Now remember these are bolted in bars, and they came out my hands, and then. God is saying, check all your windows. All the windows, someone, I believe it's because they know he, that he travels in and out. And we're the only, there's a few missionaries there, but in Asia, I am so hard to hide. You know, it's like, <laughs> who did that? Oh, that tall lady. I cannot go anywhere. That tall white lady, she's over there. And um, and so him too. And so all the windows had been Unbolt, the bolts taken out and placed back so we could not... We wouldn't know it unless God spoke. Yeah. Windows, 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 you know? So God wants to protect you. You know, one time I came out of my house, or out of my back bedroom, small 800, 600-square-foot house, tiny, and he's traveling. And I come out of the back room, and there's a man sitting in my my living room. And to this day, every time, if anyone's ever had a trauma... You kind of not maybe relive it or you see it. You may not feel it always. But matter. in the evening when I come downstairs, I always look on the couch because that man was sitting there. And a week ago, that man walked by my house and said, what would you do if I grabbed you and kissed you? And he was a tall Filipino. And um, said, I'd rebuke you in Jesus' name. And then so now he's in my house. Paul's not there. So I look at him. And the Holy Spirit said, go get your children. Do not confront him. And see, God had to say that, because I would have. There's a time to confront. There's a time not to. So I turned around, got my two babies. And really, I had to kind of walk past him to go outside and go get another guy. And so um, you want to tell him what you did? Well, then say it. So anyway, he left. You got a mic. Say it.
0: He left when shadi came back with a missionary that lived not too far from there he was gone so i came home and she told me all about it so i think it was a couple of days later and he comes walking down the road and he's walking by the house and i said hey and the spirit of god says just be calm be calm so he was walking by the gate and he came over to the gate. I said, "Hey, I, I I hear you came by the other night." And he wow. and he walked up close enough to the gate, and I reached over the top and grabbed him by his head and pulled him in, and rebuked the devil right out of him. I said, "I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus, you unclean spirit, come out of him in Jesus' name." And he screamed, and ran home. His home was two houses down from And the ours.
1: coolest thing, because he felt so ashamed now, he knew that we were looking for a house for an orphanage. He moved to another city like five hours away and then gave us his house for the orphanage. <laughs> so God <laughs> triumphs in everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, so we have story after story. You know, you just walk in your authority, walk in your love, touch your nation, and you have God encounters may God give you dreams and visions and show you what to do what not to do and um, listen to the Holy Spirit what what you preach here is what we do there and of course we were talking about stories I, I've never heard so many great stories as Rusty Pastor Rusty I said why do you want us to tell you stories I just love hearing you tell stories but we could go on forever actually I could go on forever yeah. so I will sit I'm, I'm down. ready to go on
0: yeah <laughs> No, this hand, other hand, other way. After, I I wanted to pop his head is what I wanted to do, but that's what the Spirit of God was telling me not to do. Uh, Don't kill him, don't hurt him, don't maim him, just rebuke the devil. And when he found out, because the baby that we got from Jeanette, you know, the they actually went on the lady on the radio and said, Can the white lady who helps the bald headed lady, can she please come to the hospital? Yeah, so they were calling out for shoddy on the radio. There's two ladies, there's a big white one and there's a bald-headed one. And uh and they wanted Shoddy to come because she was in the hospital and wanting to give birth. Well, we got Jason, we got the little boy from uh her. And after that, we we never saw her again. Yeah, but Shottie didn't meet her parents. Well, from that, then one of the girls that worked with us said, Brother Paul, can you come with me? We need to go to this lady's house. She needs help. And we went to this house. It was sideways. And uh, it was a blind woman with five dogs in her house taking care of a newborn baby that her daughter had just left with her and she goes, what can we do to help her? So we brought that baby to our house. Well, it was a few weeks later after that, that this situation happened with this guy and he left town. And so we got that house and we turned into what's called Jeremiah house. Of course, Jeremiah, we named it Jeremiah house after Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans that I have for you. Uh, says the Lord that are, you know, and, and so what happened is we got this baby from this blind grandmother in this broken down house filled with dogs and just, it was just the filthiest thing you could imagine. And then little by little, people began to bring babies to us. And so Jeremiah House became a home for the abandoned kids. We would get kids that were a week, two, three, four weeks old that weighed, uh, you know, six weeks after they were born, weighed less than the day they were born because they were the places they were from was such poor areas uh, that the only thing they had to drink was uh, sugar water, or they would rinse off the rice and just the, the white rinse off of starch water. That's what these kids were getting. And so all of a sudden now we have this um, facility, and we get one baby, and then another baby, and then another baby, and then another baby. And and then pretty soon we're getting recognized by the DSWD, which is the social welfare department of the nation. And, we had so many kids come in there, and then we we had a full staff. I think we had 10, 11 ladies working around the clock taking care of these babies. And then we opened another one in the first city that we lived in with our some missionaries that were working with us called God's Lambs. And the major problem over there is kids that had cleft palates that, that looked like monsters. They were there was so bad, and it was it seemed to be an epidemic in that area. So one area we we're having abandoned and malnourished kids that are being brought to us. Uh, because nobody wants them, nobody can take care of them, nobody can feed them. And in the other place, we're having helping do surgeries uh, to fix these kids' faces so they can actually have a future. And then the DSWD came in and said, well, uh, they recognized what we were doing. They weren't paying for anything, we were paying for all of it. And then they tried to tell us how we were supposed to do it, that we had to keep these kids till they were 18 years old, that they wanted to keep us, keep them in an institution and we thought, that's not what God told us to do. God told us to help them find families. And so by, we began to work on this. And so we it ended up helping just through the one that was two doors down from us. We helped 85 kids. 85 kids find homes and families that started with the blind grandmother and Jason. And it started in our living room, just taking care of them and rocking them on our... But, you know, if you just say yes... If you just say yes, what God can do, let me, uh, me move ahead real quick because 40 years of ministry and stories could be a little bit ridiculous. We came, we flew into the Philippines after being in the States uh, for a while, and when we landed, the Spirit of God said, put everything in order, this is your last year here. And they picked us up at the airport in Calibo, and when they were driving us to our, our house, we came down this dirt road, and from... The aunties that I I mentioned that Shadi began to minister to and start that little class for, we got a building downtown and we had a school that had uh, grades one through five. We had 175 kids of the poorest of the poor. It became the best Christian school in, in the city and it was only for the poor and we fed them twice a day. We were driving down this dirt road to get to our house, and they were standing there waving flags, welcoming us home. And we had just heard when we landed, put everything in order. This is your last year here, and we're going. Wow, we're leaving all of this. Well, in the la- and during that time, we gave that school to a local pastor and his wife that we had been working with since we moved there. Which that church is now a New Life Church in Kalibo. It is still. A function is probably one of the best Christian schools on that island, which is the fourth largest island in the Philippines. That school is still going on today. But it started when some kids came up and were begging, uh, trying to get some money off Saudi. But out of her responding, hiring a part-time teacher, it led to a, the birthing of a Christian school. Like I said, it's still functioning today. Um, we, when we went to Manila... Uh, we thought we knew why we were there and somebody came up to me and said, look, there's a lady that, that really wants to talk to someone about the Holy Spirit. Would you talk with her? I said, yeah, I'm not alone, but I had this guy go with me. So we met, we talked to her. I was leaving the restaurant. She said, would you pray about doing a Bible study at my house? And I said, sure, I'll pray. Well, you know, if somebody asks you to pray about something, you can always say yes. A lot of times we forget and pretend like we did and we really didn't, um, but my prayer on the way home was, Lord, you know I don't have time to do this. That was my prayer. I've been in the Philippines 10 years already. I'm ministering to 5,000 plus pastors around the nation. I'm traveling. And, there's some, and, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, God, you know, I'm... And, and it was kind of arrogant. Uh, I'm bigger than this. I can just see it now. Three ladies around a dining room table. Lord, Lord, certainly you have something better for me than this. And of course, you know, this is the time that when Jesus was alive with his disciples, he would say, oh, how long do I have to suffer with you? That's probably what he said when I was talking to him in my prayer. So I got home and I told Shadi what happened and told her that this lady wanted us to pray about doing a Bible study. She said, did you pray? And I said, yeah, I did. I didn't tell her what I prayed, but I did pray. So I told Shadi, she came back about 30 minutes later. And, you know, if you don't listen to the Holy Ghost, he'll tell your wife. And she's usually harder to ignore than the Holy Ghost. And she came back and she goes, I believe you're supposed to do that Bible study. And I knew she was right, and I didn't want to admit it. So I called up the lady and told her I'd do it. But I had neglected that I had an appointment that Friday. So the very first Friday, Shadi went and did the Bible study. She did, she, and I, she came home, and, and I said, well, how was it? She goes, oh, it was great. Three ladies around on dining room table. I went, oh, my God, that which I feared has come upon me. So we did the Bible study week after week after week after week, and it grew to about 65 people out, grew the ladies' dining room, living room, and it spilled outside. And one night after a Bible study, somebody came up to me and said, Brother Paul, when are you going to start a church? I looked at him, I went, I'm not. I said, I'm not. God told me to do the Bible study, but you know, that's, I'm not starting a church. Well, I went home, I made another mistake. I told Shadi. I said, you know, after the Bible study tonight, I mean, sometimes she was with me, sometimes she wasn't, I said, this lady came up to me and she said, when you, you know, Pastor Brother Paul, why don't you start a church? And she looked at me. It didn't even take 30 minutes. She looked at me and she goes, honey, I believe it's God. I thought, oh, no. (laughs) Uh, But it was the Holy Ghost. So we went back, we announced to the Bible study, and I told any of you that are going to another church, you really need to stop coming to this Bible study because we're going to start a church. And the next week, over half of them were gone because we didn't want to create any problems. So within another couple of weeks, we found a restaurant. We would show up on a Saturday night and move all the tables out of the way, rearrange the chairs and then set up the PA system, and then, and then we had our first service. We had 35 people. We had no music, no worship leaders, no instruments. I led worship. We would type out the songs on a piece of paper. Didn't have a computer, didn't have an overhead projector. We would type out the songs on a piece of paper. They would have to follow my tone, my tune, and my tempo. If they come back the next week after that, you know it's God. I did not have a sigh. I did not have a Marvin. It would have been really, really nice. No worship leader, not a guitar player, nothing, not a zip. And people kept coming. I thought, this must be God. 35 people in a little restaurant. Uh, never had any idea what God was wanting to do. He said, listen, I, w- I want you to start this church. Because we had also built a Bible school and purchased some land in, in the first island we lived and we had a bible school that had been going on for many many years and many many young men and women were coming out of that school and so when later on when we started a church and as the church began to grow then we had a generation of young men and women that were already ready to connect with us that we had been poured into their lives so that bible study that, that that with three ladies in the first service that turned into 35 you know people in the first service We now have a beautiful facility. It's four stories tall with a beautiful roof deck. It is completely paid for. We have no debt. And we have churches in the north, the south, the east, and the west, all over the Philippines. Just since the uh, COVID has started, we've already, in the last two years, we've started another five churches. We have churches in Nepal. Um, Let me see. We have churches in Nepal. We have churches in Vietnam. We have 60 churches in Myanmar. The Spirit of God said, I want you to go to Myanmar. Dealt with us about going to Myanmar. And our guys were in a hotel and they were praying. And this man, and they, they met this man who is a, in charge of a very large, conservative, extremely conservative uh, Baptist organization. But he's one of the most respected men in the country of Myanmar. And as they were talking, he invited our guys. He said, would you come do some meetings in our church? And as they began to talk to him, they explained to him who we are, how we believe. He goes, no, we need, we need something. Our churches are dying. We need help. So they went to do a meeting in his church. When they did, he has an orphanage on the property. As they were preaching, the Spirit of God fell because they were ministering to the kids. Every kid in the orphanage got filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and spilled out of the rooms and came into the main sanctuary. And as Pastor Edwin was preaching, the Spirit of God fell, and every one of them Baptists got filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak in tongues, and they stayed there for another four or five days ministering to them. And then Pastor Voss says, you've ruined our lives. You can't leave now. What? Where do we go from here? And so we brought four of his top leaders from Myanmar. we paid for them to come into the Philippines, went through our Bible school. But then we went back there and he gathered all of his churches from around uh, the country of Myanmar. Some of them, it would take five days. You would have to go by boat a day and a half. First of it, you have to walk out of some of the mountains. It would take you a day or, or a day and a half to walk out of the mountains, go by boat in the go by land. Five days later, you show up at the meeting. And there was about 60 to 65 of these pastors and churches. And so we did a school for eight weeks. We paid for everything. We invested in all of this. We did a school for all of these pastors. They all got filled with the Holy Ghost, and we began to reteach them. The next year, we came back, and we did it for six weeks. The next year, we came back, and we did it for four weeks. And the third time that we were there, they called us into a meeting, and they said, we, we, we have something that we, we want to ask you We know what God wants to do in Myanmar. We know what's needed in our nation. Everybody that's come in here has come. Pastor Voss said, many, many people have come to me. Other organizations from different countries have come to us and wanted us to join with what they're doing. And they offered to build our buildings. They offered to support us. They offered to, to give us all kinds of things. He says, you came in. You didn't ask for anything, but you gave us what we needed more than anything. You gave us the word and you gave us the spirit. You poured into our lives. We are different people today. We, we didn't need the natural. We needed what you gave us. And you came in and, and unreservedly began to pour into our lives. Now, we're telling you that for the future of our nation, we believe this is God. And all of their pastors stood up and said, please, we know what we need for the future of Myanmar. We need to be new life in Myanmar. And so within three years, we went from a chance meeting in a hotel because we said yes to now we have 60 to 65 churches all over the nation of Myanmar. And they have been in civil war, and so whatever was planted into these churches has been needed and necessary, because of what they're doing. Listen, we our church it it seats eighteen hundred, or if you rearrange the chairs, up to two thousand people if you really really cram it. And it started as a Bible study because we just said yes. It's 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 paid for. We. A number of years ago, you guys had been praying for us when we went through Yolanda, a typhoon that devastated a city that I was in. And In fact, uh, Shadi said, honey, I was down there doing a funeral for one of our pastors. She says, you're down there with all your pastors in that region in two different islands. Uh, Why don't you just stay? And I was staying in a hotel in Tacloban, right near the water. She goes, why don't you just stay, spend the weekend there? and, and uh, you know, just come back on Monday. And our pastor said, well, you know, Pastor, uh, they said we were expecting a storm coming in here, and if it comes in, it might shut the, the airport down for a couple days. And uh, I had a friend coming in that I'd been waiting to come visit for like 25 years, uh, Pastor Jeff Perry. I've been waiting on this guy to come for 25 years. So I figured since I've been waiting 25 years, it might be good that when he flew in, I was there to meet him. Yeah, that's a good idea? Yeah. And so I thought, well, no, I better, I better go and I better be there. Well, that night the typhoon came in and a tsunami, 15 foot waves came in, 65,000 people died. Uh, my hotel had water. Uh, the room that I was in was underwater. I'm so glad I didn't stay. I'm glad. I told Jeff, I think you saved my life. And so we went back there and began to do outreaches. And in my trips going in and out, I was back in Manila one day, and one of the ladies from our church brought a man to us. His name was Reverend Kim. He was from Korea. He spoke no English. He goes, I've been in the country for a week trying to find somebody in the government that will help me feed people. He goes, will you help me feed people? I want to go down there to that area. I have four or five containers of kitchen equipment that I want to bring in and, and I want to feed people. That's all I want to do. I just want to feed people and let them know that Jesus loves them. Just I just want to feed people, but nobody will work with me. Nobody will help me. Nobody believes in what I want to do. And, and he was getting ready in four hours. He was catching a plane to go back to Korea. And now he's got equipment. He says the Korean Navy is bringing in. But I'm thinking, okay, equipment's good. But what about all the money for all the food? Where's that going to come from? Because the island, that entire area is devastated. And on the inside, I hear this, do it. I want you to do this. Say Yes. He's just asking me, and he's looking at me through an interpreter, almost with tears in his eyes. Everybody has said no. Everybody thought he was nuts, because he was, he was a pretty intense dude. And I said, yeah, we'll do it. Well, a week later, I was back down there. Korean Navy came in. They unloaded five containers. We took those containers. The Korean Navy helped us clean out a space, and we... We got uh, cutting machines and welding machines, and we opened up the containers and we created a field kitchen. We were there with the number one groups of the world, Red Cross, you name it. Any any group that ever shows up during disasters, world disasters was there. And we would show up and go to these cluster meetings, you know, we're here, New Life Community Care, we're here to help. And they looked at us like, (laughs) who are you guys? You know, like, oh, how sweet you want to help. You guys, nobody's ever heard of you. You're a nice little church group. And yeah, okay. And so they would just kind of slough us off. And we had meeting here and meeting there and meeting here. And everybody just kind of just patted us on the back and was trying to politely say, you know, go away. You're bothering us. And uh, it's kind of like when David said, what does the guy get for killing this giant? And everybody mocked him and told him he couldn't do it. And and, and David, no, no, I got something here. Let me tell you I got something. Well, we we were the the nobody and the and the little guys showing up. And we were in a cluster meeting one day and finally the head of all of it said, "We have we have a great need here because so many mothers have died, fathers have died and and this, they're trying to open up the schools, but when they open up the schools, these kids are suffering tremendously with malnutrition. We've got to feed the children." And and is anybody set up? The, the greatest need we have right now is how can we feed the children? And so this is where Pastor Edwin, he stands up and goes, you know, the guy that everybody's been brushing off, sloughing away and telling, him go away, you bother us. He goes, we can do that. We can do that. Who are you? He says, well, we're New Life Community Care. Never heard of you. Well, it doesn't matter. We can still do that. We can do that. And he goes, yeah, but, but we're talking about thousands, thousands of meals. He goes, we can do it. And so they wanted to come and see the kitchen. They didn't realize what we had. And uh, God had already put us in position. Because this Korean guy said, listen, if you'll help me when I'm done, I'll give everything to you. It's all yours. I don't want anything back. And so in the next nine and a half months, we put out over one million hot meals We were feeding 7,000 kids hot meals every single day. We were doing something that nobody else was set up to do because you know what we did? We said yes. We just said yes. And then when that was done, we had all this equipment. And so then my son Ryan, actually Ryan was the first one that had a desire to want to go feed people. And we bought pots and cookers and stuff and went down there and, and it was... We worked so hard, and one day we fed 400 people, we thought we really had done something. But within two weeks, we were, it, we were feeding 7,000 every single day. Well, when this is all over, Ryan had an idea. goes, Dad, let's make a kitchen truck. And so we bought a 40 foot truck. See, all the money that you guys gave, see, every one of these stories is because somebody somewhere believed in us and what God told us to do. See, outside of the people who were behind us, we would have never lasted. We would have never been there. If people weren't giving, if people weren't praying, if people weren't loving us and believing in us, we would have never stayed. And it, sometimes it just takes, you gotta stay somewhere long enough. It takes longevity. And so the money that was given because of the outreach towards this typhoon, we bought this 40-foot truck, and we converted it into a kitchen truck. Now, that kitchen truck has now gone to different places, and where there was a disaster, the government now calls us. They call us. There is no other truck like this anywhere. And that's not an exaggeration. There is no truck like this anywhere in the country. There was landslides up north. We went up there and and Ryan took the truck up there with the team and in three days put out 47,000 meals. Before COVID hit, we had a volcano. Listen, between mudslides, floods, uh, typhoons, earthquakes, we got it all in the Philippines. Let me tell you, we were lacking nothing. And so before COVID hit, we had a volcano that was going off and they were evacuating everybody and people had no food. And so we go in there, set up a kitchen, and we are feeding thousands and thousands of people. And the, and the network televisions show up and go, who are these people? How do you do this? And 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 is the testimony of the goodness of God. Why do we have that truck? Well, we have all the equipment that was put in it. We've got tilt kettles inside that, and, and, and rice ovens that can cook rice. We can cook enough rice in forty-five minutes for twenty-five hundred people. So between the tilt kettles and the rice ovens, of course, we really had to learn from Reverend Kim because those are the instructions in the ovens are in Korean. Yeah. But, but we learned how to use them uh, because none of us speak Korean. But whether there's been fires in different parts of the city, they have called us up. They said, we have, we have a couple hundred families. This entire area has been burned out. They have nothing. No problem. So we bring the truck over there and we put out thousands and thousands of meals. Why do we have that? Because we said... Yes. Why, why do we have something nobody else has? Why can we do some things that nobody else has? The government still, as much as they've seen that truck, they still haven't reproduced it. They still haven't made one like it. They're still calling us up. Why do we have that? Because God says, I want, I want to be glorified through your good works. And, and I want you to bring attention. And I want you to show the mercy and the kindness and the, and the compassion of God in some of the harshest, worst situations. But I need you to say, Yes. Many, many years ago, I was talking with Pastor Bill Wilson. He had come in. If you don't know who Bill Wilson is, he has the largest sidewalk Sunday school program in the world. They minister, I think it's about 275,000 kids a week. That's no exaggeration. 275,000 kids every single week. It was birthed out of Brooklyn, New York. And I had met Bill in in a meeting and then when he came into the Philippines, and he came into our church, and then after a couple of years, and us talking about opening Metro, and uh, finally one day he goes, look, we've been talking about this long enough. We either put up or shut up. We either do this, or we just quit talking about it. Because we were going into areas, I was telling Pastor Rusty yesterday, in a north cemetery where people live in, in the cemetery. They live in the cemetery. And they, they uh, recycle the graves. Every three years, they will come in and empty the graves out, empty all the bones out, and then resell the graves. So the people and the kids grow up living in there, and you can see, you just see skulls. I've seen kids play soccer with somebody's head that died, you know, 10 years ago. How many know that's not a healthy place? And so we went in there with Metro. We went into Tondo. We went into the dump site which is one of the most densely populated places in, in the world, and eventually we were ministering to 25,000 kids a week. In the nastiest worst places in the nation, 25,000 kids a week, because we just said, yeah, we'll do that. As a result of that, and one of the churches that connected with us and, and became a new life church, the average church size in Tondo in this is probably the harshest. It's, it's the dump site. It's where all the trash goes to and people live on that dump site. And there's a place near Tondo called City of Rats, where kids are, are disfigured and you can see all the scars on them when they're babies, where rats come in at night and, and, and just chew on their faces. That's, it's actually called City of Rats. Uh, cats don't go there. They'll get eaten. And, uh, and so because of the outreach in this area, which Metro went into the worst area to reach these kids in, in, the, in the most devastated place you could possibly go to. As a result of that, working with Pastor Philip, and then Pastor Philip had a his son-in-law, Pastor Herbie, who was associate, which we later transitioned Pastor Herbie to become pastor of the church. The average church size in Tondo is about 50 to 60 people. New life in Tondo is about 2,000. It's about 2,000 people. And they have a building now, and I'll I'll close with this because I, I could go on and on. They have a building now that was owned by a Chinese family and the father that owned the family that owned the family owned the building said of all my of all my buildings of all everything that I have you can sell give away do whatever you want to do but this building here don't sell it you must use it for the church or for the kingdom and the old man passed and the building sat empty because it was in this part of Tondo. It was right next to the city of rats. It was right next because the, that part of the area had so just dissolved into such poverty. And, and warehouses that used to be used for shipments coming in, it was no longer safe to use them as warehouses. They, they stopped using them as warehouses. And then the people just took them over and turned them into places to live. And so Herbie went to the guys and said, this building is empty can we use this? Because the church has continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. And they said, the only people that can use this is a church. And Herbie said, if you will allow us, we will begin to uh, renovate room after room after room down here. And uh, if you'll let us. And the guy says, what are you paying for your little building over there? And he told him how much he was paying. Because Herbie says, financially, come on, our congregation is this is our congregation. This is where they live. And he goes, whatever you're paying there, you can pay here. And no matter how much of this building you occupy, we will not raise your rent for the next 30 years. And so we went in, we began to renovate it. And now, like I'm saying, they're reaching almost 2,000 people every Sunday and they air conditioned it.
1: I know you're going to close, but... I wanted to share this with you, (laughs) I leaned over, I said, Leah, how much time do you have? When when do you end this service? Um, You know, for 10 years, we were out in the islands, saying yes, then we go to Manila and he does a Bible study with super rich people and um, entertainers and politicians. And he came home and told me about this Bible study that he didn't know when they asked him to do the Bible study. That was who was at that Bible study. And that was the first time I said no. I said, no, we didn't come here for that kind of person. I I want to minister to the poor. And the Lord rebuked me. He said, I don't care if they're in a three-piece suit. They need me. I don't care if they're politicians or they're the famous. They need me. So for 10 years... He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord and the Lord will repay you. And even in that, you don't dictate to God. Everyone needs God. And so then when our church was being built, we have rich and poor and super rich, super poor. We have it all there because everyone needs the Lord. Everyone needs the Lord. Well, that's all I want to say.
2: Well, what do you think? Let me help you a minute. Because the Lord is going to not only give you an opportunity to say yes, but some of you have should have said yes a long time ago, God will give you a second chance. You have to understand something about what they're saying. Lee and I have experienced the same thing in our lives. You don't say yes when everything in your life is perfect. You'll never find that place in your life. These yeses are said many times when there's problems in the family, financial problems, physical problems, total impossibilities, in which the last thing on your mind is to say yes to something that God wants you to do because it's so totally impossible. But those are the time in, times in which faith takes hold, in which you really experience the compassion and mercy of God in order to get the grace of God upon your life. And we're living in a day and an hour in which God needs everybody. Your yes may not take you to another nation. You know, I'm dealing with a situation in my life of being a missions pastor, a missions evangelist when I traveled all around the world. And now what do you expect? In my own family, my own daughter what do you think she's going to do what do you think she wants to do when people ask her what do you want to do what do you think she says I want to be a missionary go to the nations of the world it's just as impossible for pastors Paul and Shadi to do what they do as it is for the yeses of your life which God sets in front of you for you to do that because you can't do it without him Because if you can do it without Him, you don't need Him. Amen? You don't want to do that. You want to do things that you need Him. You absolutely have to have Him in order for you to obey God. So I'm just going to do this this morning. We usually give an altar call for people to get right with God, to get saved. But I've known in my spirit for many years of people, that you come here to the church and God's got something so much bigger and so much greater for you. And you can get so comfortable in a church like this, just trying to get your needs met and seeing God do things. But there's a greater purpose for you after you got saved than you just dealing with the needs of your life. God wants to use every one of you, every one of you, in a powerful, powerful way. And there's so many different avenues open now that were not open even 10 years ago. And I know people are saying, well, the nations are shut down and this and that. But listen, in a moment's time, There's no telling what can happen. And the thing about it is, is you can have a thousand no's in your life, but it's the one yes that you say to God that will change your life forever. And you know, you can always serve God thinking that I'm going to serve Him into a place in which I can really be obedient to Him. I've heard people say that. When I get this built, I get this done. I, 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 if I marry this person or if I if I do this, then I can really... You can't do that. You cannot do that. Yes begins at the altar with salvation. When you say yes to Jesus. Then yeses begin to... The, 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 the choices for yes to be said come not so spectacularly, because see, they're telling you about a yes that happened to them after they were married, after they were in Bible school, and they weren't there just living the, you know, the high life. They were there struggling in Bible school, believing God to finish, uh, trusting God for a word to to do what God had called them to do. And in the midst of all of that, then God sends them to a place where they didn't start on top, start at the bottom. But just, you got to keep Saying yes. This is the key to what God wants to do in this day and hour. You say yes when you get saved. You say yes when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost. You start coming to church. You're being taught the Word of God. You begin to say yes to, to, to giving, to tithing. We take missions offerings here. You start saying yes to missionary support. Your own personal life, you begin to support a missionary. You start saying yes to the Sunday night service. where you never said yes to a Sunday night service before you start saying yes to the prayer meetings. There's a lot of yeses out there you got to say yes to that God doesn't speak into your heart. They're just part of the terra firma of where you live in the kingdom of God. And you say yes to the prayer meeting. You say yes to the conference. You say yes to work in the children's ministry. You say yes to sing on the praise team, work in the, work in the media ministry. You say yes to usher. You say yes to pray. And it positions you into a place for when God gives you the big yes, you had not been saying no for so long that you cannot say yes to the big yes. Because some of you in this year, we've called it a year of double, and I could get up here and tell you how this church has already doubled. And I'm not going to share that right now because you look around and you say, well, we haven't doubled. We have doubled. We have doubled since January. You say, how did that happen? Well, we'll share that later. But what it is, this year is going to be a year in which the final instructions are going to be given out. And those that hear the voice of God are going to have to say yes and step out and trust God with their very lives. That's what it's all about. When you get to a place, you take God out of Leah and Mai's life, you might as well bury us because we have nothing. We have nothing without God. And you get accustomed to saying yes all your life. I remember hearing Dr. Summerall at age 75 praying in Jerusalem with two dynamic pastors of mega churches, young men, strong. He's 75. The Lord spoke to him. I remember because we were the first ones he told it to. He said, my people in the world, pray my prayer, give us this day. Our daily bread. And they go to bed hungry. And he told Dr. Summerall, he said, I'm not okay with that. I want you to feed the world. And Dr. Summerall said, Why are you telling me that? I've got two pastors in the room next door, both of them pastor megachurches, both of them in their late 30s. They can do this forever. He said, It took me 75 years to get you to this place where you could say this yes. So age is no excuse. Age is no excuse. Your experience is no excuse. You have no excuse in the eyes of God because He can take a willing vessel and do anything with it. And some of you right now, God's stirring in your heart. And actually God has been stirring in your heart. But today has brought it to a climax. A place of decision. Where you need to if you're not saying yes to all of the things you know you can do, you need to be doing that now. But I'm going to do this this morning. If you've got a yes in you, but you haven't had an assignment or an instruction or anything like that yet, or if you've had an assignment or instruction and you just hadn't had the you hadn't had, you said, I just hadn't said yes yet. Pastor, I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I, I, I just hadn't been able to do it. God, Listen, God gives second, third, fourth chance. He does whatever He can do. He brought, he brought this wonderful couple here to share these, these testimonies. They can teach and preach better than I can. But what's inspirational about these testimonies is what they're saying. is you guys already got faith on the inside of you, you just need an opportunity to respond and to show God you're available. That's a public showing. We can say it quietly in our hearts every day. But I answered a bunch of altar calls when I came back to the Lord. Every time they said, if you want to serve God, if you want to go to the mission field, if you want to pastor a church, if you want to be in a van, I got up there in every one of those calls. I was listening with everything I had. Just say it, Lord. Just say it. I'll do it. You know why I did it, was like that? Because He saved my life. He saved my life. He saved me when I was six years old for heaven but at age 28 he saved my life I would not be 66 years old I would be dead if you're here this morning you say pastor that's me I so want to say yes I so want to say yes I just need some help get out of your seat and come up here right now get out of your seat and come up here right now thank you Jesus Thank you, Jesus. Isn't this awesome? Hallelujah. Isn't this awesome? And I, Pastor, can I call on y'all guys to pray for these? Would you please? Would you do that? Leonard, Leonard, just gonna stand and watch. But if you would, would you would you pray for them? And church, I ask you. You know, this is a this is this is a holy moment. This is. Do you know how many? souls could be represented right here. Pastor, uh, how many churches, you know, you've seen this before, you've done this before, how many churches this could be, how many nations this could affect, what it could do just here in Galveston as we continue to pursue what God's called us to do. Amen. So guys, play softly if you will. Praise God. Have we got the praise team? Are y'all still here, guys? Sarah and, and, and all the girls, y'all come if you will. Find a, find a worship song, just worship if you will. And, and Paul, y'all take your liberty. Yeah, let's get them. Get Leah, right there, why don't you get them a, a mic so they can have one. In case they have a word for somebody or anything, we want to be sure and get it. And you guys that are remain, just stretch your hands and pray. Just stretch your hands and pray toward them. Hallelujah. Go ahead, Pastor. Go ahead. Let me see, buddy. Yeah, you're good now. You're
0: good. Yeah. There we go. You know, before we pray for you, one of the worst things you can do is to compare yourself with other people. God has something very unique and special for you. you. Get out of the comparisons and competitions with what other people are doing and I, I spoke in a church recently about, and the pastor asked me, he goes, I need you to encourage my people to get involved and volunteers. It seems to be a hesitation in people. I shared an example of one lady in our church. A very, very dear friend of Shottie's. Her name was Pearlie. In the 60s or 70s, early 60s, late 60s, she was a international fashion model out of the Philippines who traveled to Paris, Milan, Venice, I mean she's just all over the world, New York. Not too long after that she broke her back and it affected her physically and as time went by she got to be where she was about 350 pounds maybe pushing 400 in her latter years and most of the time she couldn't walk before she was all bent over she had rods in her back and, and and eventually it was pretty much in a wheelchair but that lady was in church just about every day she was there in the beginning of every service, she was there in every prayer meeting she would sit in our cafe and she would talk to people all day long because Pearlie loved people and she loved the Lord and she would she would find out somebody's problem and she would no I, I would connect you with this person and oh you need to meet this person and, and 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 this pastor here can help you and 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 she was there always with an open heart listening and praying and crying and hugging and 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 if you look at her you would think what in the world does this woman have to offer but her heart and her availability and her love for people and her willingness to do whatever she could She was probably one of the greatest assets in our church of connecting people, getting people restored and rebuilt and reestablished and never, never limit what God can do with and through your life. Our starting
1: point
0: that really brought change into our life was delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you yes. the desires of your heart. That I doesn't mean that it. everything you desire, God is responsible to give you because you have to qualify desires.
1: What you. it means
0: is if, if you'll just focus on delighting mm-hmm. in him, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. he
0: becomes the source of your desire. And you learn to trust what comes up out of your heart because you know it's a God desire. It's not selfish. It's not self-serving. And it's bigger than you are. And it's it's better than who you are. It's you have desires to do things and in and of ourselves we're just not that good. There is a godly desire. There is a love. There's a compassion. There's a willingness that takes you beyond your own qualifications and abilities where you have to trust Him because it's it's bigger than you are. Mm. Get to where desire begins to grow and grow and grow on the inside of you and it's It's recognizable and it's undeniable and you cannot put it off. It begins to consume you on the inside. It begins to be a hunger and this desire becomes one of the greatest delights in your life. And there's a joy in it. There may be an uncertainty in your head, but there's a fresh joy and a peace that comes with that desire. And you begin to step into it and you watch God fulfill. Shadi and I, Rusty and Leah, we could sit here for hours and hours and hours and tell stories. But what they are is they they are one fulfilled desire after another. A good man delights in his way and he's led by these desires. Of the heart God desires God desires so father I pray for every person standing here that you become the desire that you become the source of the desires in their heart they they it, it's not out of their head it's not out of their flesh it's out of their heart a God desire to to go a God desire to serve a God desired to give, a God desire to position themselves and say, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my days. I trust you not only with my eternity, but I trust you here and the now with my temporary. I trust you. I trust in you, Lord, with all all my heart because I delight in you with all my heart and you are the source of my desire. I delight to do your will, oh God. Make that real in each and every heart, in each and every life. Now, now right now, before we just come down and just lay hands on you and just pray for you. Start talking to Him. Start talking to Him right now. Instead of hearing from me, you
2: speak to Him. Two things real quick. You know the Lord spoke to us and said, out of Hebrews chapter 10, He said, forsake not the assembling of yourself together, even more so as you see that day approaching. And folks, if you don't see that day approaching, just open your eyes. So we're going to come back tonight at 7 o'clock. Prayer be at 6. It's just another opportunity to say yes. That's all it is. And you get enough yeses built up, I guarantee you it will position you for that, for that big yes. The Lord spoke something to me out of the Word, and it just keeps stirring, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to read it to you. It's out of Isaiah chapter 60. It's the last verse. It says, A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. And the Lord spoke to me, Get ready. The little thing's gonna become a big thing. Because we have the answer. Do you understand that? To everything that's going on in this world, we have the answer. So we need to ready ourselves for not what's fixing to happen, it's happening now. It's happening now. Amen? So, tonight, 7 o'clock, I, pa, pa, Pastors Paul and Shadi will be here. Pastor Lee and I will be here. We're just going to trust the Holy Ghost to see what the Spirit of God's going to do. We're just going to declare one of those Holy Ghost meetings. Let's see what the Spirit of God will do tonight. Speak to you, touch your life, heal whatever you need. Let's just believe God. Because one thing about hearing about God, it's another thing to experience Him. Listen, we've said this for years. If all we have is Christian philosophy, we're no different than any other religion in the world. Amen. But we have a God that says something and does something. Amen. There's a God that says it, and He is the God that does it. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? I'll ask you one more thing. Prepare yourself tonight. We want to receive a special offering for them to bless the work at New Life. They talked about their church seating. 1800 or so, and uh, they don't tell you though, they have five and six services on Sunday just to help the people, hold the people. Amen. I've been there and and preached all those services and it's quite quite an undertaking but quite a joy. Amen. Praise God. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, this is one of the milestone moments at Island Church. When we as a church, we say yes to your plan, yes to your purpose, yes to your will and all that we do. Lord, we see the miraculous things that you're doing right now. Father, we thank you that at an appropriate time we'll share all these wonderful testimonies with the church. But Father, we declare that now is our season of yes. You spoke to us about double in 2022. For our shame, we have double. For our confusion, we rejoice in our portion. And in our life and in our land, we're going to possess double. In Jesus' name. Father, for your protection, thank you no evil befalls us, no plague comes near our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. Thank you, Father, you bless our going out, our coming in, the righteous labor of our hands, all that we do. Thank you, Father, that angels are encamped round about us. Stir evangelism in our heart. Let the fire of God to reach the unreached, tell the untold, and Father, to love the unloved. Lord, let it in our spirit man, as individuals, as families, and as a church, we ask in Jesus' name. Lord, as we leave today, we walk in faith and love towards you, and love toward one another. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and not by the Holy Ghost. God bless you.
0: Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at
1: islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah,
2: Jesus.